This evening, we are looking at session number four in our series of studies, The Foundation of Our Faith. And uh, this evening, we are looking at the death of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at the person of Jesus, the fact that he was both God as well as man, fully God and fully man. And what was the necessity for Jesus to be both God as well as man? We learned that so that he could be the perfect mediator between God and man. This evening, we are looking at what is so unique about the death of Jesus. Why did Jesus have to die? And what are the benefits of his death for us? The cross of Jesus Christ has been called as the central figure of human history. Anytime, anywhere, anyone sees the symbol of a cross, they would immediately identify it with Christianity. So the cross has become the central figure or the central fact of human history. Remember, the cross is the only ladder high enough to reach heaven. The cross is the only ladder high enough to reach heaven. Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but Jesus was crucified on a cross between two thieves. So sometimes we may uh, glorify the cross and make it very ornated, and we can think about wearing it around our necks, you know. But that's not what the cross was really all about. The cross was really a symbol of punishment and cruelty. It was the world's blackest hour. The scripture tells us when Jesus died on the cross, darkness covered the face of the earth. But it was also the world's brightest hour. Because, you know, the Bible also tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent into a very thick and a very high, tall veil was separated, was torn in two, symbolizing there's nothing now that separates between man and God. He can come. We can come into a direct access to God because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So this is the paradox of the cross. Now, Jesus' death was not like that of any other human being because everybody who is born into this world has to die. But Jesus' death was different. If you notice, the Bible tells us that he voluntarily gave himself up. Now, when it was time, he prayed, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and then he died. The other two thieves were still alive, you know. But Jesus died, you know. Why? Not because of the crucifixion and its uh, uh, bad effects on him, but the fact that he voluntarily gave himself up. This is what Jesus also prophesied in John chapter 10 and verse 18. He said, no man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. So death was not forced upon him. It was a voluntary death, which is what is unique about the death of Jesus. Anybody can die in the, and say, I'm doing it on behalf of the people of the world. No, no. It was not the question of he saying, I'm doing it, but he proving that he was, you know, his death was sufficient when he rose again from the dead. He was not the victim of a plot that somebody pushed him to die. He had no other option. No, no. He voluntarily gave himself up. So that's why the first thing that we look at this evening is the uniqueness 
of his death, the uniqueness of his death. God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's the uniqueness, okay? Because what we could not do for ourselves, his death on the cross has made it possible for us. Every other religion, if you notice, will speak about you know, what we can call as a you know, do-it-yourself kit, you know, type of a religion. You do this, 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 you know, you can put together your salvation. And we may try and fix things together by our own, but no matter whatever methods we use, we are not successful because man cannot save himself. This is why Jesus' death on the cross made it possible for us to get our salvation. So let's look at the death of Jesus. We look at a lot of passages of scripture this evening to help us to understand this important truth. First of all, the death of Jesus was predetermined in history, was predetermined in history. What does it mean? It was not an afterthought by God. It was not that God created Adam and Eve and then they sinned. So the Lord said, no, what shall I do? These guys have sinned and uh, they have messed up my plan. So, and then you know, he said, how about Jesus going down? No, no, the Bible tells us that even before the foundations of the earth, you know, he was chosen for this particular purpose. That's what we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. It says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. It was the heart of God to send Jesus into the world to pay for the sins of man even before man was created, knowing that man would sin. Now think of the love of God, isn't it? Now, now I'm sure if we were in God's place, we would not do something like that. We may think, you know, why should I do this when man is going to you know, fall into sin? But no, that's the heart of God. The heart of God for man is so much knowing that he would still sin because he has given him that option, that free will. He also made that way of escape by being willing to send his only begotten son into this world to die. And Jesus was willing to come into this world as a tiny human baby, grow up and be willing to give his life as a sacrifice. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So this is the heart of God even before God created the earth. And that is why we must remember that Christ's death on the cross was not an afterthought. It was a pre-planned, pre-thought out much, much before. Secondly, it is also predicted in the Old Testament. It is also predicted in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 3, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord's prophesied, this is what is going to happen. You know, there's a Messiah who is going to come who would crush the effects of this particular act that they have done. And Isaiah 53 spoke about it much more clearer in Isaiah 53 and verse 5 where it says, For he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Okay. 
This Isaiah the prophet prophesying many years, much before the event of the crucifixion. What do we learn from this? This was the plan of God. This was the heart of God. This was prophesied, predicted even before it actually happened. And the reason also that is mentioned. Now, a person can just say, okay, you know, so and so will come and he will die after some time. No, that is not it, you know. But the prophecy is also specific, which says that he'll be pierced for our transgressions, he'll be crushed for our iniquities, our punishment would be laid upon him, and we will get our salvation. Thirdly, there are a lot of Old Testament types, you know. For example, in Genesis 22, when Abraham was asked by God to offer his son as a sacrifice, as a sacrificial lamb, okay, then we find that God stopped him and you find a ram caught in the bush and that ram became the substitutionary ram or the animal for the sacrifice. And that's the initial understanding of we have to pay our sins Somebody else was willing to take that place for our sins as a substitution. And in Exodus chapter 12, we read about the Passover. We read about how when the children of Israel were going to come out of the land of Egypt, the Lord said, apply the blood on the doorpost. And when the angel of death sees the blood, the angel of death will pass over. And as a celebration of that, they constantly had the feast of the Passover, the feast of the unleavened bread, a reminder of what God had done for them and how the blood of the lamb had saved them. So these were all Old Testament types of how the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, Jesus, was going to pay the sins for the whole world. Fourthly, we find all the New Testament in our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them speak about the death of Jesus, because that's the major theme. There's no point writing a history about the life of Jesus and not mentioning his you know, death and resurrection. So all four Gospels speak about it. For example, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verses 45 onwards, this is what it reads. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. At about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus has cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Okay. Details about all that happened during that three-hour period is mentioned in the Gospels. Now, not only the Gospels, but also in the epistles, it is a predominant theme. Whether it is Paul writing, whether it is Peter writing, all these epistles have this theme of the death of Jesus. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, Paul writing says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The theme in the book of Romans about salvation, about how we couldn't save ourselves, but what Christ has done for us on the cross, now that has given us salvation. 
So as a result, in 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul says, this is our theme for preaching. He says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. He says, the death of Jesus you know, doesn't really make much sense you know, to the Jews or to the Gentiles. For the Jews who are looking for a Messiah, for them it was, how can the Messiah die? You know, that's not a Messiah. It was you know, in a stumbling block for them. The Messiah was supposed to overthrow the Roman rule. Now he has not overthrown the Roman rule. So it was a stumbling block. For the Gentiles, it did not make much sense. You know? They said, this is foolishness. You're speaking about a God dying you know, for the sins of the world. It doesn't make sense to me because for them, it was the thinking that mattered. It was the intellect that mattered. It was the secret knowledge that really mattered. So for them, it was foolishness. So Paul addresses these issues in his epistles as well. What the death of Jesus has accomplished for us. Also, this is the theme in heaven as well. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 6 onwards, it says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the lamb. A lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. They're speaking about Jesus. And verse 9, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. This is the song that they are singing in heaven. You know, all the individuals who are centered and are gathering around the throne are giving worship to the lamb that was slain, okay? And this is also going to be the permanent song in heaven, permanent song in heaven. Revelation 5, 9 to 12 tells us, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Eternity will be ringing with the praises for the one who loved us and has given himself for us. So shouldn't we be grateful to God this evening for willing to come down to die for us? willing to offer himself as a substitutionary sacrifice so that we don't have to pay for our sins, but he took our place so that we can find a place in heaven for all eternity. Now let's look at what are the reasons, what are some of the reasons why Jesus did die, okay? First we will answer some negative and then we get into the positive. Negatively, he did not die a suicide's death. In other words, you know, when we say he gave himself up, you know, that doesn't mean he killed himself. He didn't you know, die to say, look, you know, it's futile now, you know, and these guys are not going to respond, so I better kill myself. No, he did not commit suicide. Isaiah 53 and verse 8 tells us, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. 
Yet who of his generation protested, for he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people, he was punished. Okay. In other words, you know, he didn't kill himself, you know, he paid the price, you know, he took on someone else's sin and as a result, death came upon him. Remember, the Bible tells us, you know, the wages of sin is death, you know, Jesus did not commit any sin. So, when he died on the cross, it was, you know, replacing or taking on the sins of the world around. Number two, he did not die of old age. He did not die of any accident. He did not die of any disease. John chapter 10 and verse 18 tells it very clearly. No one takes it, that is, you know, his life from him. But he, but I lay it down of my own accord, said Jesus. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. And this statement, even before his death, showed very clearly who he was, that he was indeed God. Because with full authority, he could say, I'm going to take the, lay down my life. Not only that, I'm also going to take it up again. And this is where the uniqueness comes in. They say when Socrates you know, you know, drank poison and died, that since he committed suicide, he said in his dying words, I'm doing it for my disciples. Now, any person can say, I'm doing it for my friend, for my disciples, but that doesn't make any sense if he or she, when he does that, is also able to say what Jesus says, I have power to lay it down, and I also have power to take it up again. So that is where the proving of Jesus' death on the cross becomes real. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, if he had only died and that was the end, that would not have been sufficient. But the fact that he rose again proves that what he said he died for was in reality true. Thirdly, he did not die as a political hero. Luke's Gospel chapter 24 and verse 21 speaks about the disciples who are on the way to Emmaus. And they did not understand that Jesus was with them and they are having a discussion with him. And they tell Jesus, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. In other words, they thought he was going to be a political hero. But now what has happened to that political hero? It's between his death and resurrection, and they are thinking and talking among themselves and saying, look, we thought he would be a political hero, overthrow the Roman Empire. But now he's dead and gone. Now, he did not die as a political hero as they thought he would. Fourthly, he did not die simply as an example. Some people tell us, you know, as John chapter 15 and verse 13 tells us, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So they say through this verse, we understand that that is what the death of Jesus is all about. He died as an example so that we should also die for our friends. You know? That's part of it, of the example that he has set for us. But his death is not simply an example. It's much more than an example. Fifthly, he did not die simply as a martyr. A martyr is one who dies for his faith, for what he stands for. Like in Acts chapter 7, we find Stephen was dragged out of the city and was stoned to death. Okay, That's being the martyr, the first martyr for the Christian gospel. Jesus was not a martyr for his faith. You know why? Because he gave himself up. 
Okay, he voluntarily died. Sixthly, he did not die simply to show the love of God. Yes, you know, it's an expression of his love for us that his death on the cross is there, but that is not the whole aspect. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, it is an expression of his love, but there's much more to the death of Christ than just as an example or as an example of his love for us. Seventhly, he did not die because he was a criminal. You know, he did not pay for his sins you know, because of what he had done. Like the two thieves that were crucified on either side, they were paying for their sins. And that's what the repentant thief said, isn't it? We are, have, we are being paid for what we justly deserve. But this man has done no wrong. And that was the uh, response also of Pilate in Luke 23 and verse 4 where Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. So these were not the reasons for his death. What then were the reasons? Positively, there are five important truths. Number one, Jesus came into the world to die. Okay? That was his purpose. Okay? That was his purpose. His death was a necessity. His death was in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, we are looking at the positive aspects. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 tells us, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This was what was put into place by God in the Old Testament as requirement for forgiveness was the shedding of blood. That is how sacrifices came into being. Who instituted the sacrifices? God himself instituted the sacrifices. Somebody else paid the price. That was the pattern that God started it. But how many animals can be sacrificed constantly? How many animals were dying constantly as a sacrifice? No perfect sacrifice was found. Even though the type was there, they could not offer any animal. It had to be a lamb without blemish, without spot. But then Jesus knew that there was going to be a time when he would come into the world and become the perfect sacrifice. This is why when we looked at the person of Jesus, we spoke about the fact that he was both God as well as man. As man, he could not sin, he did not sin, showing that the sinless one became the perfect sacrifice. So his death was a necessity. It was not that when he was here on earth, he said, okay, I've come down to earth to, you know, sort of show my love to these people. I've come down to this earth to reveal God to them. And somehow after three and a half years, you know, things became bad and, you know, he became a victim and he was surprised and he was disappointed that he must die. No, 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 not at all. All through, all through, he knew that when he was going to Jerusalem, he was going to die. That's why if you notice and if you study the Gospels, we find that he had planned his whole itinerary as it were. When the time came, the scripture tells us in the right time, Christ died for us. And when he decided that he's going to Jerusalem, he knew in Jerusalem he would be crucified. He told his disciples much ahead. So he came into this world 
to die. That is the very, very clear-cut understanding from God himself. Secondly, he died willingly. He died willingly and voluntarily. As the sinless one, there was no cause of death in him. We are sinners, so as a result, it leads to death. But for Jesus, being the sinless one, there was no necessity for him to to die because that was no cause of death for sin. But the scripture tells us in John 10, verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Voluntarily, he gave himself for us. Now, you may say, was that then a very painless death if it was a voluntary one? No. Think for a moment, the physical agony that he went through on the cross, the cross, the crucifixion was one of the most uh, painful processes of dying and punishment that the Romans had come up with. It was not definitely an easy one. Now, he did definitely feel the physical pain, but there was also the emotional pain that was he was going through. When you find in the Garden of Gethsemane, the scripture tells us he sweat great drops of blood. And then on the cross, we find Jesus making that statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one who knew no sin, the sin of the whole world, was laid upon him. Think for a moment, you know, all the junk and the garbage and the dung of this world is all thrown on you. If you have been wearing a very clean garment, spotless white garment, how would you feel? Much more when you think about Jesus the one who has been eternally, eternally with the Father. At this particular point of time, for that split-second moment, it seems as if he has turned his face because he cannot see Jesus, if he were to say. He sees the sin that has been heaped upon him. But Jesus willingly, voluntarily did it for us. Why? Because he knew that this was the only way to take away the sin of the world. That's for the third reason. Jesus died as a sacrifice for sin, to put away sin. He knew that no matter how hard man was trying to live the life that pleased God by keeping up all the sacrifices, when he looked at the Jewish community, you find right through the Old Testament, during the intertestamental period, even during Jesus' time, People are not really living lives that were pleasing before God. They tried and tried, but they were just not possible for them. So this is why Jesus came into this world, so that he would take our place, so that he would be the replacement for the punishment, and so that he would then empower us to live the life that is victorious over sin. This is why when John Speaking about Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 29, when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Look, the Lamb of the world, Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Who takes away the sin of the world. That is why Jesus came. So that we don't have to carry the burden and the guilt of sin anymore. It's all taken off, you know. It is like if you have a heavy load that you are carrying, you are tired. Jesus comes in and says, come to me, all you who are heavy and laden with all this burden of guilt. I've taken your place. You don't have to carry that guilt anymore. Give it to me. And when he does that, our sin is taken away.
put away. And that is the purpose for Christ's death on the cross. Fourthly, his death is our substitution, bearing our penalty. You know, the justice of God demands that sin has to be punished. Okay? Now you may say, God loves me so much. Yes, God loves us so much. But God is also just God. He is also holy God. So if he has said he is a holy God, sin has to be punished. Okay? So somebody has to pay the sin. And if a person who is a sinner pays for the sin of somebody else, then who will pay for that person's sin? So this is why Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect God, the sinless one became the perfect mediator and the perfect substitute who could pay the penalty for our sin. This is what we read in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Fifthly, the death of Jesus was victorious. Was victorious. At Calvary, he accomplished the purpose for which he came. He provided salvation to everyone. John 3.16, familiar verse, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, believes that he has become the substitution, believes that he has paid for our sins on the cross. Whoever believes, and remember it is a whoever, okay, it's a blanket statement. Anybody who believes this truth does not have to carry the burden of sin anymore because Jesus took our sin upon himself. They shall not perish but have eternal life victorious life. Remember, eternal life does not start after we die. Eternal life basically is not the quantity, it's the quality of life, the very life of God. So Jesus says over here, if you believe in what I have done for you, then I come into your life, I give you new strength and new power. My very life dwells in you. That's the victory that God promises to us because of his death on the cross. Now, you may have a question like this. How could one person die to save the whole world? Some people have this question. Okay, I believe Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. But I was not there when he died. So, how can you say that he took my place? Okay. Now, this is something we must understand. The effectiveness of the death of Christ depends on who died. Okay. If we definitely have understood that it was Jesus, who is God, who died on the cross as a man, as payment for our sin, and we recognize by one man's sin came into the world, how are we all sinners? You know, we are not sinners because we, have, we, we do sin, but we sin because sinful nature is in us, isn't it? So through one person, sin has entered into this world. So Jesus paid for that one original sin, if you were to say, through which all the other sins are coming down. And once he has paid for that main sin from which all the others have come down, we are become all the beneficiaries of that. So because we have the sinful nature in us inherited from Adam, Jesus has paid for the penalty of sin of that sinful nature that we have inherited. So even though we were not alive then, we are still 
forgiven because of what Christ has done for us. Now, this is also valid for the future. Christ's death on the cross has paid for our sins, the past, the present, as well as the future. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 tells us that God was reconciling the world in, to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is the good news that God gives to us. To say, yes, you don't have to die because I have taken your place. How can we say that is valid? Who died? Not just a normal person. It was God himself who died. It was God himself who created man, who paid for our sins so that we don't have to pay for it anymore. So, his death on the cross then becomes a gift to us. It becomes a gift to us. Romans chapter 6 And verse 23 very clearly tells us the wages of sin is death, isn't it? Every one of us knows that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what Christ has done for us. Now he offers it to us as a free gift. He says, okay, free. This is a payment I have made. Now it's up to you. Would you accept that payment? How would you still feel, I have to pay, I have to pay? Think for a moment, if a person is in jail for a crime that he has committed, okay, and the judge now says, somebody else has bailed you out, made your payment, now he has, you know, you can get out of jail. But if the guy says, no, no, I'm not sure about that, you know, you know, even though the notice has been given, he says, no, no, I'm not going to get out of jail, I'm still going to be here. So. That would be useless for him, isn't it? Even if the a pardon has been given, you know, you know, that's a presidential pardon that says, okay, now you are no longer responsible for this crime that you did. Now, if he doesn't believe that a pardon has been given, he will still be languishing in jail, isn't it? And that's what it is all about. There are a lot of people who understand this truth, but still feel, oh, I have to do something still. I have to still make some payment. I still have to make some penance. And especially during the Lenten period, they say, if I give this up, give this up, give this up, then that will be sufficient good works that I have accumulated so that my sins can be paid for. No, no, no. No penance that you can do can ever achieve your salvation. God gives it to us as a free gift to us. Okay, But if we don't accept this gift, you know, John chapter 3, and verse 36 tells us, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. It's an either-or situation. There is no in-between ground. A person either has life or a person has death. A person either lives in light or a person is living in darkness. A person is either saved or a person is lost. Okay. And the cross then is God's gift. As John chapter 1 and verse 12 tells us, to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You this evening, received that gift. Are we grateful to God that he became the substitute for us? Honestly say that we are his children. 
that we can identify his voice in our lives. And would we be willing to say, along with the hymn writer who wrote that hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross, one of the stanzas says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my all. When you and I think about how much God loved us, even before the world was created, knowing that we would sin, made this way so that Jesus would become the perfect sacrifice, how much we should be willing to keep nothing for ourselves, be willing to give our all to him, because that is what his love for us demands from us in return. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. Oh, Father, we thank you this evening so much for helping us to understand that the death of Jesus on the cross was not an afterthought. It was not the victim of a plot. Heart of very much in the very beginning itself. Because this is how much you love us. We can never understand, we can never understand fully the extent of your love for us. But we thank you that you do love us that you did pay the price. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my all. And even this evening, we don't want to commit ourselves into your hands. Accept that free gift that you have given to us, that we no longer have to be burdened with guilt, thinking that we have to do something, some penance, some payment. No, you have paid it all. It's all done. All that you are asking is, believe it, Accept it by faith in it. Be with us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.